Good morning, ladies. It is so good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. I am so glad to be here. What a thrill to see all of your faces. Get all my stuff here. What a glorious day this is. Thank you, music team, for that wonderful music to praise God. And thank you for those praises that you've lifted up. I have a praise. A praise that I gave to God uh, earlier this week on Monday when I woke up. Uh, and it was raining again. I was totally surprised because I hadn't heard the weather. And so as I began to grumble, I thought, you know, I'm going to praise you, Lord, for this rain. And as I looked out my back door uh, and the rain coming down... As I praised God for the rain, suddenly what I really saw were all my flowers. Now, my flowers have been spectacular this October. I mean, the impatience are just coming off the fence. They're so full, the baskets, and my zinnias are blooming, and I even have roses blooming again. And that's because of the rain. And I thought, Lord, it's because of the rain that all of these flowers are blooming and look so good. And then later that afternoon, as I walked out in the front when it had stopped raining, I found these on my front yard. Now, you may not be able to see them very well, so you might want to come up afterwards. But they are red leaves off of my silver leaf maple in my front yard. Now, they're not super red. They're not like up north, but they're all red, many of them. And usually this doesn't happen because it's so dry here that my maple tree, the leaves just dry up, turn brown, and fall off. They don't turn red at all. So even this little bit of red is because of the rain, and I'm so thrilled for it. So you can see how, um, I, I know you guys are laughing, you're the ones that lived up north. You know what a red maple leaf really looks like. Although I noticed out here on the side today, it's really pretty red out there, so some of them are looking pretty good. Anyway... My perspective changed when I began to praise God for the rain. And I want to thank you for your praises because that's what happens for us. You're an inspiration to us. You remind us to look for God's hand of blessing and providence and grace in our lives, in all aspects of our life. This is the eighth week of our study of Psalms. And we've said that Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. And we're calling this study Shout to the Lord because it is our hope and it's our prayer that as we study these Psalms, we will be drawn into the heart of God and we will learn how to pray in a little bit different way, maybe more personal, maybe more intimate, maybe more honestly. We want God to teach us how to pray this semester. And I was reminded um, of a song that I learned in kids' camp this summer. It was my privilege to work in kids' camp. It's really a great time. One of the fun things they do is they bring all the kids into this auditorium, and it's filled, and there's a drama, and then there's the music team that sings songs. And a lot of these songs they've written themselves, and they're really neat. And then they put them on a CD, and we get to take them home. So I took it down to Houston, and I had the opportunity with little Dylan to listen to this tape every time I got into the car. And uh, one of the psalms really stuck, one of the songs stuck out to me. And it said this. This is just the chorus. I won't sing it, but uh, you can hear the words. And I think it was written by our own April Jesbray, if I'm not mistaken. And it says, we can pray all day long. We can pray in this song. We can pray for our friends. We can pray without end. For you are always near with a listening ear, pulling us closer every day. God, teach us. How to pray. 
And as I listened to this song all summer, I thought, you know, that's what the Psalms are. The Psalms are God teaching us how to pray. They're the prayer book of the Bible. I also said that Psalms are the songbook of the Bible, and I suggested you might want to sing these Psalms out loud. And I'm wondering how many of you have done that. Are there any more of you that have sung the Psalm out loud, maybe read it out loud? Good. I see those hands over here. Good. That's wonderful. You know, I think Psalm 86 would have a very interesting tune because at times, David is calling out to the Lord in great need, almost desperation. And then he turns and he lifts up these beautiful words of praise to God. And that's one of the reasons I love this psalm. Because it's kind of a jumble of requests. David's just shouting out these requests. And then he praises God. It's kind of mixed together. And more often than not, that's how my prayers are. They're a jumble. I'm just shouting out to God this request and that request. They're not well-spoken. They're not neat and tidy prayers. And so I love it that David prays in Psalm 86 like this. You'll want to turn to in your Bible to Psalm 86. We're going to go through it. And you'll notice that it says underneath Psalm 86, the heading, it says, A Prayer of David. Now, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you noticed this, but if you go over to Psalm 85 in front of it, it says... For the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. And then 84 says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. And when you go behind 86, Psalm 87 says, of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. And Psalm 88 says, a song, a psalm. It's interesting. All these songs and psalms that are written here. And in the midst of all this, they put a prayer of David, a heartfelt prayer. This psalm is called a petition psalm. It is uh, Petition is a type of prayer. And my topical Bible defines p- petition like this. Asking God for personal things in prayer. Asking God for personal things in prayer. Webster's Dictionary defines petition in this way. A solemn supplication or request to a superior authority. And I thought that was a pretty good definition because our superior authority is God. So our petitions, we're asking requests of God. We ask God to meet our needs. Sometimes our request is on the behalf of someone else. But much of the time, it's personal. It's on our own behalf. I'm lifting up requests to God to meet my needs. And that is a good thing. God wants us to come to him with our needs, with our requests, with our petitions. Jesus talks about this all through the Gospels. In fact, on your verse sheet, I have Matthew 6. Verse 11 says, Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You might recognize that as the Lord's Prayer Much of the Lord's prayer is requests that we're making on our own behalf. And then in Matthew 7 on your verse sheet, Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Petition is a good thing. God wants us to bring a request to him. 
On your verse sheet, we see Paul saying this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then he goes on in verse 19 to say, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Davis also, David also knew the importance of petition. When David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and he put it in a tent, in a tabernacle, he assigned certain Levites to do different tasks. Now, the Levites were the group, the tribe of Levi, set um, aside by God through Moses when they were in the wilderness. They were the ones that were to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. They were the ones to be involved in the worship and in temple things. And so he assigns certain Levites to do certain things. And in First Chronicles 16.4, we read this. David's appointing. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief, Zechariah second, then Jael. I went ahead and put those names because Asaph is one of the names you see, by the way, as writing some of the Psalms. And so you see here, Asaph was the chief um, Levite that David put in charge of going in before the ark and making petitions, giving thanks, and praising the Lord. Petitions are a very important aspect of prayer. They're up there with thanksgiving and praise. So you might say to me, say to me, if God knows everything that we need and he gives us great gifts, then why is it important that we bring our petitions, our needs to him? I had a teacher uh, years ago in a Bible study tell us that when we ask God for our needs, it connects the gift with the giver. When we say to God, I need this, Lord, I'm needy. And we see God's hand of blessing in our life. We connect that gift with the giver. When we never pray, when we don't think about God, pretty soon we forget about God. And all of a sudden we think, it's because of me that I have these things. I'm doing all this. I'm the one. We forget that everything we have comes from the hand of God. It connects the gift with the giver. David wrote many psalms of petition. But I especially like Psalm 86 because we see in 86 David very needy, David vulnerable, taking his need to God. And it's so personal and it's so heartfelt. It's dear to me because it teaches me how to pray my need. Are you needy? If I came up to you after class and said, are you needy? Some of you might think, well, you know, things are going pretty well. I'm not too needy today. But some of you sitting out there probably feel so needy this morning that you almost couldn't get out of bed. Maybe your need is so overwhelming today that you're almost paralyzed by it. You know, the truth is that we're all needy. Some of us at different times more needy than others. But I know that I am needy. I need forgiveness. I need greater faith. I need a loving heart for those who annoy me. Or upset me. I need food and clothing and shelter on a daily basis. I need wisdom. And I need health. And I need strength. I need a calm heart in those turbulent times. And I need a grateful heart all the time. And right now, I need God's peace and grace as I stand in front of you. I am poor and needy. 
So let's read Psalm 86 and see what principles we can learn from this psalm that might make a difference in how we shout to the Lord our requests. And I'm going to read this whole thing out loud because it's so beautiful. Follow along with me. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Amen. What a psalm this is. David is in desperate need. I count 15 different requests that David makes of God in just these 17 verses. And it takes us clear down to verse 14 before we really find out what has caused David's desperate situation. Verse 14 tells us that the arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seek my life, men without regard for you. Now, last week we studied Psalm 27, and Lynn Kitchens told us that David was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. And he was a young boy at that time, 16 years old. But it was many years before he would actually come to the throne. And so that time was spent, much of it, hiding and running from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. Some theologians think that Psalm 86 was written during that time period, along with Psalm 27. But others think that it was written much later in David's life, when David was king and was running from his son Absalom, who wanted to take the throne and was trying to kill David. And this makes sense to me. One reason is because I think this psalm could have been written later in David's life. It's called a mosaic psalm. And what that means, some of you may have looked that up, but every verse in Psalm 86 can be found in part in other verses that David wrote in the Psalms. It's pretty interesting. We're not going to go all through that, but I am going to give you two examples. Verse 1, we read there, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. On your verse sheet, you see Psalm 17, 6, and it says, Hear, O Lord, my righteous plea. Listen to my cry. In verse 4, it says, Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
In Psalm 143.8 we read, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for to you I lift up my soul. And on and on you can find verses in other psalms that are like or very similar to these verses in Psalm 86. So I think it's possible that David could have written this psalm when he was running from his son Absalom. And so I want to briefly summarize this story of Absalom. You read some of those verses in your homework, but let me tell you a little bit more about that story. And you can find this in 2 Samuel chapters really 13 through 18. It really begins in chapter 13. We know that David had many wives, and from these different wives, he had different children. And he had one son named Amnon, and Amnon had one mother, his father was David, and then another son was Absalom, and Absalom had a beautiful sister, Tamar, and they had a different mother. So Absalom and Tamar were half-siblings with Amnon. And scripture tells us that Amnon fell in love with Tamar. Now, I'm not sure if it was in love or in lust, because he tricks Tamar to come to his room, and while she's there, he forces himself on her. He rapes her. And then he tries to send her away. And Tamar begs him not to do this. She says, this is even a greater wrong to me than what you've done already. Because she's been defiled. She will never be able to marry. No one will marry her. But it tells us that Amnon sends her away anyway. Scripture says that his hatred for her was intense. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. So she puts, excuse me, ashes on her head. She begins to weep. She goes out and her brother Absalom finds her like this. And he now, he figures out what's happened and he hates Amnon. And he wants revenge. And so it takes a um, couple of years, but he devises a plan in uh, which the end result is that Absalom kills Amnon. And King David is heartbroken and devastated. It says he's weeping and he's wailing as he hears this news. And his other sons are with him, weeping and wailing. His one son, Amnon, is dead. His other son, Absalom, has killed Amnon. What a hard time. Absalom leaves and he goes away to another city, Geshar. And it says he stayed there for three years. And during that time, David is consoled to Amnon's death. And through a series of events, he allows Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. But he doesn't see Absalom right away. He waits two more years before he calls Absalom in to see him. And when he does that, I think it's the old phrase, too little, too late. On Absalom's part. I think those two years, his resentment against his father David had been building up. And so he decides that he wants the throne and he wants to kill David. So he goes out in front of the city gates and he takes men with him and he stands there day after day. And as the Israelites come into town, he asks them what's going on, what's happening, and they begin to tell him of their grievances. And um, as they bow down to his feet, he kisses them and shakes their hand and he says, You know, David hasn't, King David really hasn't given you a representative to hear these uh, grievances. But if I was made judge over the land, I would bring you justice because your grievances deserve that. And scripture tells us that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. 
It also probably didn't hurt that he was um, very handsome because in 2 Samuel, let's see if I can turn to it real fast, chapter 14, verse um, 25 says this, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot there was no blemish on him. And then it goes on to talk about his hair. His hair was so long and thick and luxuriant that when he cut it, it would weigh five pounds. I think it mentions his hair because those of you that know the story, or if you want to read on and find out, his hair becomes his undoing. So Absalom begins to gather the hearts of the people of Israel. And the conspiracy continues until he has enough power that he decides to go up against David. And then we read the... Um, Servants of David find out about it. They go to David and they tell him this. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. So off David once again runs, this time from his son Absalom who wants to kill him. And as he waits for this battle to begin, not knowing the outcome, many of the people of Israel have turned against David. What a hard time this would have been. What a sad and lonely time this would have been for David. How vulnerable he must have felt. How frightened. What a difficult time. David was in dire straits. And I think this could have been the very situation that prompted David lifting up this prayer in Psalm 86. Where do you go when your need is overwhelming? David goes to God. And God wants us to come to him with our overwhelming need, with our daily needs, with our small needs. Go to God with your need. I read this story that Kay Arthur tells about a friend of hers father who was out hunting one day. You may have heard this story. And uh, he's hunting and he hears this commotion and he stops. And out of the bush comes this little brown rabbit. And the rabbit runs up and, and stops in between his feet. And he sits there shaking. And the hunter looks down at this odd sight. And he hears further commotion. And he looks up and out pops a weasel. I've been waiting all week to say that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Wendy. <laughs> out of the bushes come a weasel. And he stops dead in his tracks and he sees the hunter and he sees the rabbit. And the hunter realizes what's happened, that this rabbit has been running for his life. And now he's exhausted and can run no further. And so the hunter, being a good guy, shoots his shotgun into the ground in front of the weasel. And the weasel jumps up and runs off into the woods. And after a few minutes, he says gently, okay, little rabbit, your predator is gone. And after a few more minutes, the rabbit runs off into the woods. And Kay Arthur asks these questions at the end of her story. She says, where, beloved, do you run in time of need? Where do you run when the predators of trouble, worry, and fear pursue you? Where do you hide when your past pursues you like a relentless wolf seeking your destruction? Where do you seek protection when the weasels of temptation, corruption, and evil threaten to overtake you? Where do you turn when your energy is spent, when weakness saps you and you feel you cannot run away any longer? Do you turn to the protector, the one who stands with arms open wide, 
waiting for you to come and huddle in the security of all he is. God wants us to bring our need to him, to run to him. His arms are open wide, ready to protect us, to take care of us. David goes to God. And not only does he go to God, but we see how he goes to God. Because with each request, he gives a reason for his request. And these reasons give us insight into the attitude of David. So let's look at this. In verse 1, it says, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. He says, I am poor and needy. David comes to God in humility. In humility, he's not demanding that God listens to him. He's coming to God as someone helpless, someone needy, someone that has nowhere else to go. But to God and God alone, he comes in humility. Verse 2 tells us, guard my life, for I am devoted to you. David is devoted to God. And this word here for devoted means that he is a friend of God's. He trusts in God. He comes in devotion. Verse 3 says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. I see in this verse David coming with persistence. He's coming with persistence. He's not giving up. He's calling out to God over and over again all day long. Persistence is important in prayer. Jesus talks about this a lot in the New Testament. On your verse sheet, oh, you know, I... I left that verse off by mistake. But in Luke 18, it's the parable of the unjust judge. And he tells this to his disciples. He talks about a widow that comes to the unjust judge, pleads her case, and he sends her away. But she comes day after day after day. And finally, he just gives in and says, I will give you justice because you keep pestering me. You are so persistent. And Jesus says, we are to be like that. We are to pray over and over again to God persistently. And he says to the disciples, but when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith in the earth? And what he was saying to the disciples there, will you give up praying or will you remain persistent in praying to God? Persistence in prayer is important and we see David being persistent. Then down in verse um, 6, we see him say, hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. David is confident that God will answer him. He trusts God. He believes God. He knows God will answer him. On your outline, I kind of clumped all these petitions into the, in these seven verses, and I called it David's first petition. And I sort of summed them up by saying, said, saying that David asked God for protection, for mercy, and for joy. You know, we can always ask God for mercy. When we don't know how else to ask him in our time of need, we can ask God for mercy. And I love it that David asks God for joy. For David, joy comes from the Lord. We saw this last week. Joy was being in God's presence. Joy for David was having God intervene in any way in this situation. This ongoing relationship with God brings joy to David's life. David gives reasons for his requests. And these reasons give us insight into his attitude for these requests. I think a principle that we might apply is we might want to give requests, give reasons for our requests that we lift up 
to God and just see what our attitude is from these reasons that we give. What are my reasons for those needs that I bring to God? What do they say about my attitude? Am I demanding or do I come to God in humility? Am I devoted to God or do I come entitled? I deserve this, Lord. Am I persistent in talking to God or do I easily give up and instead spend my time whining and blaming God? Am I confident that God will answer me? Or am I like a wave in the sea, tossed about by the wind? That description is in James 1.6. Maybe we can learn from David to give reasons to God when we make our requests and check and see what our attitude is towards God. Then we see David praising God in verse 5 and then down in 8 and 9. In verse 5, we see praises. And from these praises, we know what David knows to be true about God. God is forgiving and good. God is abounding in love to all who call to him. God will answer his prayer. Verse 8 says, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, for they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. God is great and he does marvelous deeds and he does incomparable deeds. No one else is like God. God is God alone. You alone are God. It's from these praises that we see where David gets his confidence that God will answer him. This knowledge of God is foundational for his trust in God. In fact, he hardly gets out a request that he doesn't turn right around and praise God. He's focused on God again in the midst of his need. I said that I counted 15 requests in these verses. I also counted at least 15 attributes of God in these verses. What do you know to be true about God? Maybe you want to make a list of those things you know to be true about God. And maybe we want to use David's example and apply that principle that we put in as much praise when we take our petitions to God as we do requests. Putting in as much praise as requests. Let's look at David's second request. And this, you want on your outline, second petition, put a star by it. Because I think that this is what David really wants above all else. This is what David is really desiring. Verse 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. David asks God for an undivided heart. And if you'll look right above verse 10, it's he's just finished saying, you alone are God. You are God alone. In the message, it says, look at you, God. You're the one. You alone are God. And so David, as he thinks about this, says, I want an undivided heart. I want a whole heart turn towards you alone, God. This is David's overriding desire. This is his most important request. Teach me your way so I will walk in your truth. He's saying, what is it that I should do, Lord, in this situation? What would you have for me? That is what I will do. 
That is the way I will walk. I want to walk in your way, not in my way. I want your will, not my will. God wants our whole heart as well, not just part of it. He wants us focused wholeheartedly on him. Do you remember Caleb and Joshua? We studied them last year when we were in the book of Deuteronomy. Caleb and Joshua were the two spies that came back, two out of the twelve that came back from the promised land that said, okay, there's walled cities and there's giants, but with the help of God, we can go in and take the promised land. But the other ten spies came back and said, no way. Those walls are way too high and those giants are way too big. We can't do it. And so the Israelites became afraid and they would not go into the promised land. And God was upset. And we read on your verse sheet in Numbers 32.10, it says, The Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore this oath. Because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men, 20 years old or more, who came out of Egypt will see the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not one except Caleb and Joshua. For they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. They followed the Lord wholeheartedly. David knew the importance of following God wholeheartedly. Towards the end of his reign, when he knew his time was short, David had some very important things he wanted to say to his son Solomon, who was going to be king after David's death. And we read some of those important words in 1 Chronicles 28, 9. David says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion. With a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart, and he understands every motive behind the thoughts. Is your desire to walk with God wholeheartedly? Is that your petition? Give me an undivided heart. Following this petition, we once again see praise. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Verse 13 says, For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. David wants to glorify his deliverer. And he remembers how God has saved him in the past from death. God has saved him before from death. Maybe he's thinking back to how God spared him when King Saul was trying to kill him. Or maybe he goes back farther and he's remembering Goliath. How God spared him and gave him victory over Goliath. Or maybe it's even farther back than that. When David was a shepherd boy and we know that he had to kill wild animals to protect the sheep. God spared David from the wild animals. And then in verse 15, David compares God with those ruthless, arrogant men that he talks about in 14. Those men that have no regard for God, but are seeking David's life. And he says in 15, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now we've read those words, those very words, um, several other places in Scripture. It's in Nehemiah, and it's in Joel, and it's in several places in the Psalms. But do you know where those words were first spoken? Look on your verse sheet to Exodus 34, 6. This is what God said about himself to Moses. And the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness. David knew this to be true about God because this is what God said about himself. I am gracious and compassionate, abounding in love and faithfulness. Why do we worry about those needs, about those difficult things in our life when God is all this? Let's follow David's example and remember how God has answered prayer in our lives. Maybe you need to keep a journal of answered prayer. Write down your prayer and then go back and write that answer. Sometimes the answers God gives us come in a little different ways. They're more expecting, but God answers our prayers. Or maybe you want to write your prayer request on little slips of paper and put the answer next to it and put it in a box. And the next time you're um, discouraged and having trouble calling out to God, pull out one or two of those slips of paper and remind yourself of how God has answered prayer in your life. There's many ways of doing this, but find a way that helps you to remember how God has answered prayer in your life. Then we come to that third petition and that final praise in verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 says, Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In this third petition, David asks God for strength, and he asks God for a sign of his goodness. He asks God for strength, and that's based on God's greatness. And he asks God for a sign, and that's based on God's goodness. For God is great. And God is good. In verse 16, when David asks for strength, we see his continued humility before his exalted God. He calls himself a servant, and it could be better translated slave. And then we see this interesting thing about the son of your maidservant. We, don't, we know very little about David's mother. But from this verse, it would seem that his mother was a devout and, um, follow, and followed God. She was a godly woman. It would seem like she was someone that taught David about God. And when he prays and pleads with God, he is reminded of his mother's faith. I can say from my own life and experience that my mother's faith has been encouragement to me in those difficult times in my life, in those times of need. She has pointed me to God. I know some of you in this room may not be able to say that. You may not have had mothers of faith pointing to you to God, but I would hope that maybe you would have a mentor, maybe a grandmother, someone in your life that loved you and their faith pointed you to God. But I know this, you can be that kind of person for someone in your life, for your children, for your grandchildren, maybe for nieces or nephews. Maybe it's for the children of a really close friend or special children that God has put in your life. Be that person of faith that points them to God. David asks God for a sign of his goodness. And one commentator said this, that David was asking God to grant him some favorable and encouraging experience that could make him feel that God had taken note of his petition. And David's reason was also that his enemies would see and be put to shame. 
God would be glorified and his enemies would see that David was a friend of God and God is the friend and protector of those who trust in him. Some of you may have talked about some signs in your group. Last week uh, in the evening study, there was a gal who uh, sat at the bedside of her sister who was in a coma, was unable to speak for many weeks. And one day as she was praying God and saying, God, I know you are great and I know you are powerful and I know you love me and I know you can do miracles. I believe all this, Lord, but give me a sign. Give me something to hold on to, Lord. And she went back into the room of her sister, and her sister put her arm out, threw it around her neck, and hugged her. It was the first time that she had moved in many weeks. God gave her a sign. There was also another example in our small group. I hope that you heard. Sometimes God gives us those signs to encourage us in the midst of our need. David wanted a sign. We know that David was confident in God's answer, but he was in a very hard situation. And if it was this time with Solomon, we know that many people thought that Absalom was going to win the battle. We read that in Psalm 3. We know that this psalm, it tells us, was actually written during this time that he was running from Absalom. And we read these words from David. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. David was wanting a sign in the midst of that difficult time. And then David ends the prayer by saying these praises. O Lord, you have helped me and comforted me. And the tense of those verbs tells us that he was praying that even before he knew God's answer. Even before he saw God's answer, he felt help and comfort from God. Now, the end of the story, as you read in chapter 18, David's troops do defeat Absalom. Absalom's hair gets caught in a tree. He's unable to free himself, and he is killed. David keeps his throne, even though it's not, he's sad because of his son's death. It's not a happy time. David keeps his throne, and he is spared from death. But even before David knows this is the outcome, we see that he sees God's help and he feels his comfort. How many times have you prayed to God and before you even knew how God was going to answer that prayer, his peace comes flowing over you in a very real way. That peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we take our need to God, we feel that overwhelming peace, that peace that we don't understand in the midst of those trials. God's peace comes flowing into our hearts. I wanted to end by telling you a story that I heard about a young man. He was... um, in a tall office building. It was the end of the day, and he was about to leave. And as he walked into the hallway, he saw flames and smoke and people screaming. And as he realizes that he's on the sixth floor and there's no way of escape but through this hall, and the hallway is not navigable. It's filled with smoke and flames. And as he's sitting there in panic, 
thinking, I will surely die, he begins to hear the sirens of fire trucks, and he hears that, and it brings him back to his senses, and he thinks there's windows in the offices. And so he runs back into the office, and he runs over to the windows. Now, he's on the sixth floor, but he thinks maybe this is a way of escape. And as he looks down, his heart sinks, because all he sees is a curtain of black smoke, just black smoke. And then he hears on the loudspeaker what he thinks is probably the voice of a fireman. And it says, there is no way out but to jump. But we have spread a net, a safety net that will catch you. So go ahead and jump. But the man, as he looks out the window, realizes that he does not have the courage to jump into this net that he cannot see. His feet are stuck to the floor. He is so afraid as he just looks at smoke. When suddenly, over the loudspeaker, he hears the familiar voice of his dad. And his dad says, It's all right, son. You can jump. And hearing that familiar voice and knowing that trust and love that had been established over all the years, his fear melts away. And he finds the courage to jump from the window into safety. Do we know and trust our Heavenly Father's love so that we can run to him in our greatest times of need, in our times of little needs, in our times of our daily needs? Do we know and trust our Father's love so that we can run to him? Let's talk to him now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Psalm 86. Thank you for these words that tell us, Father, how wonderful you are, how great, how loving, how compassionate. Father, how you want to protect us and take care of us. Give us good gifts, Father. How you want us to come to you with our needs like David did. Father, I ask that you would bless these women. Father, that in times of need that we would run quickly to you, bowing down before you, running into your arms of safety and love and protection. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.